Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, hey, if you have not yet joined the new amazing Eat Blog Talk community, you have to go do it. You will find so much value inside, including connecting with other food bloggers in a much deeper way and having access to all kinds of exclusive value, such as bonus podcast episodes and mastermind groups and a resources and service providers directory and so much more. Go to eatblogtalk.com for more information and we cannot wait to see you inside. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. This is part two of two episodes on the topic of creating a blog on WordPress from A to Z. In part one, episode 145, we discussed the mechanics of starting a blog on WordPress, getting started, how to choose a host and a theme, etc. Also, which plugins to use. In this part, part two, we talk about what to do with your blog posts once you're set up with WordPress. We cover topics such as how to optimize your content for search engines, how to select keywords, and also how to request indexing from Google. If you have not yet listened to part one, definitely go do that first. It's episode 145. Then come back and finish up with this episode. Enjoy. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value, information, and clarity that will help you find greater success in your business. Today, I will be having a conversation with Tara Clippert from foodsandfeels.com, and we are going to talk about creating a blog on WordPress from A to Z. Tara's education and experience over the last 15 years is in web development and digital marketing. For the last 10 years or so, she's also been very interested in holistic nutrition and natural health. She had a previous food blog called Yukon Cave Girl, I love that name, and most recently has gone back to school and gotten a diploma in holistic nutrition and health coaching. Over the last year, she has built up her business, Foods and Feels Wellness, which offers health coaching, customized meal plans, pre-made meal plans, and also includes a food blog. Because of her experience in both web development and digital marketing, and now nutrition, she is now in a position to help support and empower other food bloggers in their digital marketing efforts. Okay, so once we have our analytics tracking and everything set up, do you have recommendations for actually optimizing our recipe blog posts for the search engines? Yeah, so this is actually the part I love. This is um, super important. 
Um, so basically, when you are creating recipes, you want to make sure that you're optimizing them for Google and other search engines. Um, and the most important thing to start with is keyword research. So most keyword research tools do cost a small amount of money, but there are some free ones. Like, uh, for example, I use one called Uber Suggest by Neil Patel. Um, and the first thing you'll want to do is decide on a primary keyword to target for your post. Because it, especially if you are just starting out and your blog is very new and Google hasn't sort of figured out whether they can trust you yet, you'll want to choose a keyword that has ideally under 1,000 monthly searches and a relatively low SEO difficulty um, because you won't yet be able to compete on higher competition keywords yet. But if you are a blog that you've been around for five to 10 years and you've really built up your sort of domain authority, you'll be able to compete on more com competitive keywords. So, for example, let's just talk about, say, you're just starting, right? So, like me, I'm just a, a year into my website right now. Uh, so, for example, recently, um, this was an actual post that I did. I did a paleo scalp potatoes recipe. And so what I did first was I went in and I searched different variations of the keyword. So I searched paleo scalp potatoes versus dairy-free scalp potatoes versus gluten-free scalp potatoes. Like, so you get the point. But basically, you look at all of them. You see which ones you think you'd be able to rank on. So again, you're looking for lower search volume, lower keyword difficulty, and I always choose lower if I can, because I find then I can actually compete against those. If I, I have in the past chosen more difficult keywords and like there's just no way like uh, the post does terribly and it just seems like kind of a flop. Mind you, later on down the line, if I have better, you know, once I can start competing, that post may then start performing better. But if you want to perform, you know, right away. Uh, I think that's uh, an important one. Yeah, keyword research is a struggle for a lot of us food bloggers because it can be so confusing. I know there are a handful of different ways to do keyword research, some free, some paid, some more robust, some less robust, and we don't really know what we're looking for. So you say like if you're a newer blogger, you're just starting out like a couple of years into it you should look for that under 1,000 searches per month to kind of know where you can rank. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, you can always test it out, right? Like it is quite individual as well. Um, even if you've been around for a year, but you've done an amazing job on creating lots of content and kind of getting your name out there, you may be able to rank higher. Um, whereas maybe someone who, you know, is a year into it, but only has 10 blog posts and they didn't really focus on SEO, you know, they might not be able to, right? So it kind of depends where you're at. But um, I would say play with it because also too, when when you're using the Yoast plugin, um, when you enter in your primary keyword, then later in Google Search Console, you can actually watch to see whether you did start ranking for that keyword. So if you don't, you might say, okay, maybe that was a bit too competitive. And then next time you can try a, like a lower comp competition one. I love that about Google Search Console. Sometimes you assume that you are ranking for a certain key phrase and you go check it out and there's something completely off the wall inside of there. Like the query is just like, whoa, okay. So then you know that you might need to change gears a little bit, right? 
So that is one good uh, use for Google Search Console. That is something I use it for all the time. It's super valuable. What do you think about, okay, primary keywords can be kind of tricky too, because some people say, don't put a focus too much on primary keywords, but you need that primary keyword to build your post around and build your content around. So what do you think about incorporating that primary keyword into your blog post? Yeah, for sure. So um, again, I just want to just back up a minute and I forgot to mention, of course, you can also have secondary keywords. Um, obviously, you you focus on one primary keyword, but it's totally possible to target multiple keywords per post. Um, so yeah, anyways, um, but in terms of incorporating your primary keyword into your blog post, so the most important places that it should show up is, of course, in your blog post title. And if it's in your blog post title, then your permalink will automatically pick it up into the blog post URL, assuming you don't change it. Um, And then it should show up in the first sentence of your blog post copy. And this is also what displays on Google in your sort of um, like description uh, underneath your blog post title. Um, And apparently it doesn't actually count for ranking in Google when it's in your description, like in that first paragraph, but it does help with click-through rates. So that's important as well. Um, And then, so once you've got it in the first sentence, then after that, you'll want to have it at least sort of two to three more times throughout the blog post text. And this does sort of depend on how long your post is. If your post is really long, like say, I mean, I know recipe posts don't get crazy long, but say your blog post was like 2,000 words, um, you could sprinkle it in a couple more times. But if your post is really short, maybe it's just 300 or just 500, then you you also don't want to keyword stuff. Like it's a bit of a balancing act um, in terms of how many times you put it in there. But Yoast SEO does give you really good feedback on that. So they will say, hey, you don't have uh, your primary keyword enough. Or I've never had it say too much. Mind you, I don't think I've ever had that problem. Um, But uh, yeah, and then they also suggest having your primary keyword in your um, title or sorry, header tags. So um, your sort of larger titles, um, like H2, H3 kind of thing. So if you can try and work it in there, that's also helpful. Um, You also want to have it in the alt text on your images on your page. Uh, as well as in the image file names. So when you're naming your images, just make sure you've got your primary keyword in there because image file names do affect SEO, which a lot, not a lot of people know about. So that can be really helpful as well. Um, yeah, I think that's most of the places I had to mention. And then, of course, sprinkle your, uh, your, your secondary keywords as well throughout the page where you can. Okay, two questions. First of all, I actually circled image file name because I did not know that. That was not on my radar. I have everything else covered. (laughs) But I think I do that most of the time anyway. I've always... Okay, so I had someone teach me a long time ago how to properly um, just name images in general, not for food blogs, but just like you need a date and a number and then put like a short subject So thankfully, that's what I've been doing all along. So I'm going to go in my files now and look just to make sure. But I think I do that. But really interesting to have that little bit of information. And then as far as secondary keywords, do we have to determine that like we do our primary keywords? 
or is it something that we just keep in our mind? So for an example, let's say we have best chili recipe as our primary key phrase. Would we just have like things related to chili as our secondary key phrases or how would that go? Yeah. Like, so if you had best chili recipe as your primary, um, you could also, you know, as a secondary keyword, you could have like healthy chili recipe or something. Um, and, or anything really like, uh, I'm trying to think when you, um, when you do your keyword research, most tools will also give you related keywords. So that's a nice way to sort of pick and choose what your secondary keywords could be. Um, and also another thing is when you're coming up with a primary keyword, it's also really smart to go over to Google and actually type in your primary keyword and see what Google what shows up in Google auto suggest, because most often those will be related key uh, search terms. So if you can try and incorporate some of those, then I mean, to Google, your post is even more relevant at that point, right? And they may rank you higher because they're like, wow, this post has like all the things that people are looking for. And then at the bottom of Google, there's also another box that says related search terms. Again, if you can pull any out of there and use as your secondary terms, also pretty awesome. It'll also sometimes come up with questions. So for example, say with the paleo scalloped potatoes example, it might come up and say, can you freeze scalloped potatoes or something? And you're like, oh, okay. That could be one question that I could answer in my recipe post. And again, this just makes you more relevant in Google's eyes. This post is answering all the questions that people want to know. So it's a great post. Let's bump it up. <laughs> Did you have anything more about primary or secondary keywords before we move on? I want to make sure that we cover everything. Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, in terms of the recipe card as well, um, so when you create your recipe card, you'll just want to make sure your primary keyword also shows up in the recipe card title and just make sure that it's the same title as your actual blog post title. Um, and then fill out the recipe card with as much detail as you can. Um, Google definitely looks at this when they rank recipes. Um, and like we talked about earlier, Google Search Console will actually send you notifications telling you if you need to fix any of your recipe metadata or if any of it's missing. Um, so just fill it out as best you can. It just prevents later you getting any notifications. Um, if Google thinks that you're missing information in your recipe card and, you know, they're also looking at another post that has everything filled out, they may rank that person better, that post better because they feel that you're missing things. So yeah, I would just say, um, fill it out to the best of your abilities and you can just make sure you get your primary keyword in the top. Um, you could sprinkle it throughout. I don't really do that myself or I haven't, I suppose. So I've never tested that out, but yeah. And then of course, making sure your recipe card, uh, is embedded into your actual blog post as well which I'm sure most people do anyway, but that would be a big oversight. Oops, <laughs> no recipe card here. It exists, but it's not with the post. So you were saying, Tara, that the recipe card title should exactly match the title of the blog post. Yeah. I mean, I usually do. I guess it could vary if the recipe or the blog post title isn't specific to the recipe. Um, like I'm trying to think of an example, maybe it's like how to make something as opposed to paleo scalp potatoes recipe. That makes sense. I think I mostly do that, but I'm not super consistent with it. I mean, maybe just a few words off. Like sometimes 
in the blog post header title, I will say something like delicious scallop potatoes recipe. And then in the recipe card, I'll leave delicious off. That's a point that confuses me a little bit. Like, do I even need delicious there? Why do I have delicious there? Yeah, I guess it depends if, if you're trying to target for that keyword, right? Like if that's your primary keyword, delicious something, something, then yeah, maybe do include it in the recipe card if that's what you're trying to rank for. A lot to think through for sure. So what do you think about Pinterest images and how do we optimize uh, Pinterest images within our blog posts? Of course, you're going to want to make sure your primary keyword shows up in your pin somewhere. Um, of course, as we know, Pinterest is a search engine as well, right? So, you know, if you're trying to rank for a certain primary keyword in Google, then you can also rank for it or try and rank for it in Pinterest. And then, of course, Google also uh, ranks Pinterest images, right? Like sometimes when you search for information, it'll pull up pins right inside Google, right? So I think it's good to sort of keep those consistent. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you have to be as sort of uh, strict about using the exact same uh, title for your pin as you do for your recipe. Um, but definitely just make sure to include the the pr primary keyword, even if it's just in the description of the pin. Oh, that's not something I do consistently either, but I'm writing that down as well. Do, do, do. Okay, written down. All right, <laughs> so we've kind of gone over a little bit about getting our blog posts up and running and optimized. Now we feel like we have everything on the page ready to go. We're making Yoast happy and WordPress, we've got it under control. So how do we actually submit those posts to Google to let them know that our post is ready and awesome and we're ready to send it out into the world? Yeah, so after you publish, um, you can go over to Google Search Console and basically submit your URL for indexing. Um, Google will index your site eventually anyways, but this just basically kind of just gives it a boost and speeds up the process. So if you paste uh, your URL into the search bar at the top of Google Search Console, uh, it'll pull it up and it'll tell you whether it's in Google or not. So it'll say this URL is in Google or this URL is not. And if it's not, you can request indexing. So it's just a button that says request indexing. And then it takes a few minutes. It kind of spins, spins, spins. Just, just be patient. And then it'll basically tell you that it's in the process of being indexed. I did notice, though, yesterday I tried to submit a post for indexing. And I think right now they're doing some work on that feature. So they said that it'll be unavailable for the next like couple weeks. So that's just something to keep in mind. But if you had previously made sure that you have an XML sitemap set up through Yoast that submits to Google Search Console, I think you shouldn't have too much to worry about in terms of your pages getting indexed pretty quickly anyway. Yeah, I noticed that I was actually going to mention that the request indexing feature was uh, grayed out and disabled temporarily. So I'm glad it, it's temporary because I do like going over to Google Search Console and just quickly checking on that every, after every post that I create. Sure. Hopefully it's back soon, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good a good habit to get into, I think. It is. Okay, now we've let Google know our post is there and they're going to go index it. How do we best share our new recipe with the world, the rest of the world? Yeah, so once you've got your blog post up and submitted, um, you'll definitely want to send it out to your email list if you have one. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, you probably already have pinned it to Pinterest because in the process of setting up your page, you needed a pin and you needed that, you know, a pin title and description to optimize that and to optimize in your Pinterest plugin. Um, but yes, share to social on all your other channels. And basically this helps drive additional traffic to your blog and, you know, shows Google that people are interested in it. And then even like encourage people to share it with their friends and family, because like I mentioned early, social shares are definitely something that Google looks at. So if, you know, you put your post out, you submit it to Google, um, you share it with everyone, you get a lot of people looking at it right away. It's just an indication that, hey, that's good content. People really like it. Yes, definitely. I mean, it might seem um, counterintuitive, like if I'm sharing on a different platform or getting a lot of attention there that Google wouldn't necessarily see that because they're separate, but they do. So they they see everything. So (laughs) the more you can share it on different platforms, including YouTube, because you mentioned like Pinterest pins popping up through Google, but so do YouTube videos. They see everything. So the more you share, the better, no matter where you're at. Yeah, and I know like through a lot of the um, SEO tools like um, SEO, uh, what is it, SEM Rush, and and all of those, um, and even Uber Suggest, I have a plugin on my browser where when I search for a website, uh, it pulls up the domain authority and social shares. So it, I mean, it is something that you know you want to look at, and actually, especially something when you're looking at whether you can rank for a keyword as well. If you search for a keyword um, and you see all of the, the blog posts that are already ranking on the first page, say have like a really high domain authority and they have like, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of social shares, you might think, hmm, <laughs> maybe I can't rank for this, right? So it's just maybe not so much like a ranking factor. I mean, I think it is, but it's also just like, a way of sort of seeing whether you can compete on that as well. What about once we've gotten it um, out to our friends and family, all the different platforms, how do you go about tracking how well your post is doing? Yeah, so um, I think Google Search Console is, is, and of course, Google Analytics too. Google Analytics will show you, you know, how many views you got, where people are coming from, you know, where they're being referred from. Um, but Google Search Console will show you if you start ranking for that primary keyword or any of the secondary keywords that you choose. And it may not happen right away. It is a bit of a process. And quite often it can take sometimes months to start ranking a, a post that's new. Um, but it's a good thing to track. So um, just keep an eye on, you know, you can look at uh, the queries that you're ranking on. And if your primary keyword shows up there, like, awesome, you're ranking on it. So And then, too, from there, if you see that you're ranking on it, you can see, then you can start sort of watching on Google, like, where are you? Which page are you on? Um, And then you can start to sort of improve that post as well to be more competitive with the other people that are also ranking and maybe ranking higher. Um, And then just generally, I like to keep a spreadsheet. So for each new blog post, um, I track the recipe title and URL when I published it what my primary and secondary keywords were, um, whether the posts have been optimized for Pinterest, whether they've been optimized for Yoast SEO, and then whether they have been submitted to Google for indexing. So it's just kind of like a bit of a checklist. 
But then later on too, it's really nice because if you ever need to do like a review of all your old content, like you've got all your information there. If you forget which keyword that or secondary keywords you were trying to rank for, you've got all that there. Um, if you ever hire someone to do like an SEO audit or something, it's super handy because they can just see all your content in one place. Um, and of course, like how old it is and all that kind of stuff. And then the one last thing that I do is I'll go into Google Analytics and I'll add what's called an annotation. And uh, you can do this like if you just sort of click into like, you know, your page views or something like that. It's kind of hard to find. It's really small, but underneath sort of the graph or the chart uh, over on the right, you'll see a little button that says add annotation. And what I'll do is I'll just say um, it, you choose a date and then you can say added, you know, paleo scalp potatoes recipe. And then, you know, right now it doesn't seem like much, but later on when you're sort of tracking the performance of that post, you can look at that page specifically, compare it back to that annotation. You can see like how long did it take for me to rank or, you know, yeah, like other data like that. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just kind of like adding additional metrics. Um, Anything you can track, the better. I love when I'm super efficient with that and then I can go back later and look at exactly what was going on a year ago. I'm not always great at it, but I love it when I'm in a groove and I'm just really good at tracking. And my spreadsheet sounds like it's pretty much identical to yours, which is really funny. But yeah, like the title, when it was published. I don't do the primary and secondary keywords, which I'm so sad that I haven't done that over time. But I might add that now. And then, yeah, just like, was it optimized? Did I submit it? And it's so good to know that. And then I also track the, um, I keep track of the three-month page position from Google Search Console just so I can compare. And I don't check it too often because, as you know, it can take a post some time to kind of, you know, gain traction. I don't know, every six months or so, I go in and just kind of see where things are at, if things have improved. But I think it's always good to track. So your spreadsheet idea is great. For sure. Yeah, and at the beginning, it can feel like, you know, kind of pointless or like, why am I doing this? You know, but later on down the line, you will thank yourself because once you've got, you know, massive amounts of content and yeah, it's just super handy to be able to look back. Completely agree with that. Oh, Tara, we have talked about so much. Okay, so literally the title of the episode is WordPress, everything you need to know about WordPress and starting a WordPress blog from A to Z. And we have covered everything from even just starting to think about it, what you should consider before you've started, um, going through domain names, web hosting, themes, custom themes, tips about your... um, the information architecture, oh, and everything through optimizing for blog posts, your primary keywords, secondary key- keywords, etc. So what did we miss? Is there <laughs> anything that we missed talking about all the way from A to Z that you feel like we need to touch on? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that was pretty thorough for sure. <laughs> very thorough. I think this is going to be very helpful for people, especially that maybe aren't super familiar with WordPress or maybe just starting out or maybe they just started out and there are some confusing parts of it. So I really, really appreciate all that you've shared today. I think it's going to be a huge help for food bloggers. Yeah, thank you. I think it's a great time too. I mean, with everything going on in the world and 
you know, potentially people losing their jobs or just people wanting to move online and start an online business, like this is prime time to be sort of learning how to create a blog from, from scratch. So. so you are offering now digital marketing consultations for food bloggers. I would love to hear more and tell food bloggers listening what they can expect from you with that service and then also how to be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. So um, you can find me at foodsandfeels.com. And uh, from there, if you go to the What I Offer tab, you can click on the Digital Marketing Consult. Uh, and that'll basically just take you to a booking page. So um, I don't, I used to do a lot more freelance work where I actually did the physical work. Um, now that I'm sort of working on my foods and feels wellness business, uh, I don't do as much freelance work in terms of like building WordPress sites and all that. But I'm super happy to work with people on just sort of guiding them through the process from A to Z. So, you know, branding, logos, colors, building their WordPress site, plugins, search engine optimization, and anything up to like email marketing, uh, social media marketing, content development. Um, I'm also certified as a user user experience expert. Um, so just, you know, designing the your page layouts, like, you know, to f- walk people through sort of like a nice flow of your processes and stuff like that. Um, so basically anything, anything digital marketing related. And I very much want to work with wellness professionals or and food bloggers because I've kind of now married up these two of digital marketing and food and health. So I'm really, I mean, I can work with anyone, but I really want to work with, you know, uh, health coaches, nutritionists, food bloggers, um, any, anything in sort of the wellness and food industry is what I'm very passionate about. Um, so I put together an offer for your audience. So I'm offering 20% off uh, digital marketing consultations with me. Um, so basically, if you go to my booking page and you use the coupon code EBT for eBlogTalk20. So EBT20 is the coupon code. And just use that at checkout. Um, if you have any issues, let me know, but it should work just fine. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for offering that. That's very generous of you. I say take Tara up on that. She's clearly a wealth of knowledge in so many areas. So thank you for offering that, Tara. And as you might know, before you go, I do like to ask all of my guests for a favorite quote or words of inspiration for food bloggers. For sure. So it's probably a bit cliche. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but it's because it's totally true. So my best advice is to just not give up and to stick with it because at first it's going to feel like you're not making any progress with Google and that Google doesn't care about you, but it really does take a while for search engines to trust you and to put your website in front of people. I myself, honestly, about three months ago, I was like ready to give up because I was almost a year in, I was getting almost no traffic from Google. And I think something like 90% of my traffic was all just from social media. So all just from my efforts in getting the word out on social. But in just in the last month or two, I've seen through Google Search Console, like I'm starting to get way more impressions and clicks from Google. And it's just like every month, it's more and more and more. So I think Like once you gain momentum, it just snowballs from there. Um, And the last thing I quickly want to mention is to care about SEO right from the beginning. So I hear a lot of food bloggers say, and I think I maybe even heard you say on one of your podcasts that, and me myself too, I also did not focus on it right off the get-go. 
And uh, I think it delays your success over the long run. So even though I know SEO just feels overwhelming and confusing, it is like the number one factor these days for growing your website online. So I would say those are my two words of wisdom. Oh, great wise words, Tara. Like you said, SEO isn't <laughs> something that we get into food blogging for. It's not like a super creative part of it. It's honestly kind of a drag. Like, oh, I have to pay attention to this part of it. But I promise when you start paying attention to the user experience and um, SEO as well, that things do improve slowly and stick with it. Like Tara said, don't give up. It seems like such a frustrating thing because you want results quickly, but you've got to keep with it. You cannot compare yourself to other people either. And your story is going to be your story and just stick with it. You guys have got this. <laughs> for sure. It'll happen. You just got to just, just stick it out. So I will put together a show notes page for you, Tara, and anyone that wants and anything that we've talked about today, as well as the resources that we've mentioned, we will put together like the um, plugins and everything that we talked about on the show notes. And you can find that at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Tara Clippert. And Clippert is spelled K-L-I-P-P-E-R-T. Tara, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Yes, you can find me at foodsandfeels.com. And I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, uh, and Facebook. So pretty much everywhere, Tara Clippert, Foods and Feels Wellness. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here, Tara. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.